For nearly two millenniums now, people have annually celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. Today we call that celebration Christmas, but historically God's people have made this a four-week celebration called Advent, which means arrival. During the first four weeks of December, anticipation builds for Christmas Day, which remembers the centuries during which anticipation built for the very first Christmas Day. So our annual tradition here is that the first four Sundays of December are devoted to celebrating Advent using the traditional themes of hope, love, joy, and peace. Today is week three of our celebration, which means that next week will be our last Advent service and will culminate with a Christmas Eve service, 6.30 p.m. next Sunday night. You are all welcome to join us, as well as your friends and family. This morning, our Advent theme is joy. And as you know, our text will be Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Last week... For those of you who were here, you'll remember we were in Matthew and we read the Christmas story through the perspective of Joseph. This morning in Luke, we will read the Christmas story through the perspective of Mary. And here's what we'll find. Mary will be filled with joy. Filled overflowing, so much joy that she will break out into song. A song that is really not all that different from a lot of the songs that we sing today. So my hope and prayer for each of you today is simple, that through the preaching of God's word, your hearts would be filled with joy. It's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm hoping for. That through the preaching of God's word, our hearts would be filled with joy. Joy, which is deep, durable delight in God. Joy is deep, it is not superficial. Joy is durable. It is not weak or flimsy. It is deeply rooted and it is able to withstand countless attacks. So my hope and my prayer is that through the preaching of God's word, all of our hearts would be filled with joy today. So in order to find joy... We will follow Mary's lead and ask ourselves three questions. So let me give you those questions before I pray. Number one, have we received and believed the good news? Number two, have we considered what God has done for us personally? And number three, have we considered who God is? In order to find joy, we will follow Mary's lead and ask the same three questions she asked. 
Have we received and believed the good news? Have we considered what God has done for us personally? And have we considered who God is? But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, as we open up your word and read, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and help us to understand your word and to appreciate your word. We pray that as we understand with our minds that our hearts would be affected, that we would be filled with affections for you, that our hearts would be filled with joy that is deep, that is durable, that is lasting and is in you and nothing else. And we ask this and hope for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have not already opened your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, please do that now. If you're using one of the Bibles that is under the seat in front of you, you'll find Luke 1 on page 555. We cannot hear the music but Mary's words in Luke 1 46 through 55 are a hymn the words that we have here are poetically and they are beautifully put together which has led some to doubt that Mary sang them spontaneously but of course she could have especially if God were inspiring her to say and to sing this. But that said, I think it's more likely that this was a popular hymn in Mary's day. It was a hymn, maybe like Amazing Grace is to many of us today, that Mary would have known by heart and it came to mind in this moment and she adapted it and she used it to express her joy. It is a praise song. It's a praise song that begins with praise. And then it gives reasons for praise. Several reasons for praise. And we will identify them. We'll think about them in the second part of this sermon. But for the first part of this sermon. Before we consider the, the content of Mary's song. I'd like us to go back and consider the context of Mary's song. In other words, what has happened in Mary's life that prompts her to break out in praise to God? And so to answer that, let's go all the way back to verse 26. So if you have your Bible, read with me. Let's go all the way back to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In most of your Bibles... Above verse 26, there is a heading that has been added by translators, and it says the birth of Jesus foretold. So what follows is how Mary came to find out she was pregnant and with whom she was pregnant. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying 
and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. It's interesting. People are never happy to see angels in the Bible. They're never excited to see an angel. And angels are not usually trying to scare people. It's not like angels are hiding in closets and jumping out and yelling, boo. In fact, this angel greets Mary with a disarming and positive word. And yet she was greatly troubled. So the angel reassured her in verse 30, and then he declares the good news that he has come to declare in verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So this is the angel's good news. Mary is going to have a child, and here is what Mary learns about this child. He will be great. He will be the Son of the Most High. He will be given by God the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary's response in the next verse is not surprising. She does not say, sounds good. (laughs) Okay. She's stunned. She's shocked. How would you respond? Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That is a great question. That is what you might call a logistical concern. How is this possible? Who this child will be is astonishing. But how this child will be is even more astonishing. Think about that and think about being in Mary's position. I mean, who this child will be, that is unfathomable. But how will this child be? That's Mary's concern. That's her chief question. How will this be? And the angel answers in verse 35. Listen to his answer. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. As if that explains it. As if that would be reasonable to Mary's mind. As if she would then respond, sounds good. This is obviously unprecedented, what's about to happen to Mary. The Greeks 
believed that gods would come to earth occasionally, sleep with women, and impregnate them. That is not what this angel is saying. That is nothing like what this angel is saying. Mary will remain a virgin. She will remain a virgin, and yet she will be with child. What did the angel say? Because the power of God through the Holy Spirit will over, overshadow her. The imagery is of Mary passing under the shadow of God as his creative power causes a child to be conceived in her womb. Which actually reminds us of Genesis 1-2. Where God was speaking the earth into existence as the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So this is going to be God's creative power overshadowing Mary and working within her womb to conceive a child. And now next, for assurance, the angel gives Mary a sign. I mean, this is obviously very difficult to believe. This sounds impossible to Mary. And so the angel gives her a sign. He tells her that another miraculous conception has taken place, which she can then go and verify. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And then in verse 38, Mary responds in humble submission. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thy will be done. Mary responds. Thy will be done. That is a very impressive response. From a young woman whose world was about to be turned completely upside down. How would she explain this pregnancy? How would she explain this pregnancy to her fiancé, Joseph? How would she explain this pregnancy to her parents? How would she explain this to Joseph's parents? And yet, she... Submitted to God's plan with fearless submission. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary is traveling Wasting no time, we're told. She travels with haste. Why? Because 
Mary knows that if Elizabeth is pregnant, she's pregnant. This was the sign that the angel gave her. If the impossible has happened to Elizabeth, because Elizabeth was old, we're told. Elizabeth was barren, we're told. She had never been able to have children, and she was now beyond childbearing age. So if Elizabeth was pregnant, if the impossible had happened to her, just like the angel told Mary, then Mary knows that the impossible has happened to her. So that's what this visit is all about. And what happens next is extraordinary. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold... When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Which is fascinating. Because here we're told that a baby that has been in his mother's womb for six months feels and expresses joy. Verse 45 And blessed is she, this is Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So here we have two women, two women, Mary and Elizabeth, who could not have children. And they were having children. Two women who it was impossible for them to have children, they were having children. And so, of course, Mary, now assured of this too-good-to-be-true news, what does she do? She sings. She overflows with joy. She bursts Out with joy in song. So that's the context. That is the context. What has happened in Mary's life that prompts her to break out in praise to God, that prompts her to sing this song that we are going to sing? What did we just read? She received good news. Then she believed good news. Then she was assured of that good news. And then she was filled with joy. And she sang. She received good news. That's how this kicked off. Verse 31. What did the angel say? Behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That was the first thing that needed to happen. Mary needed to receive good news. And she was initially skeptical. Verse 34. 
Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? But she then believed. Verse 38, behold, she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Then she went to visit Elizabeth and she received assurance from a fellow believer. Verse 42, Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then Mary was filled with joy. Verse 46 and 47, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. That's the context. What has happened that has prompted Mary to sing with joy? She received good news. She believed the good news. She was assured that this good news was true and she was filled with joy. And she sang. I think this describes the way that many of you who are Christians came to faith. For those of you who are Christians, if you remember how you became a Christian. Many of you can relate to Mary's experience here. You received good news, didn't you? You heard good news. You heard the good news. The gospel. You heard, you read that Jesus came, that he lived, that he suffered, that he died, that he rose again in the place of sinners so that sinners could be reconciled to God. And maybe like Mary, you were initially skeptical. You had lots of questions. It sounded impossible to you. Or it sounded too good to be true. But then something happened. Obviously. And you believed. And maybe you couldn't totally understand it yet. And maybe you still had lots of questions. But you can remember that point when you could no longer deny that this good news was true. You couldn't escape it. You couldn't run from it. You couldn't even explain it all. But you knew from the bottom of your heart that this good news was true. Then maybe later you connected with other Christians and other believers. And you were assured through your relationship with those other believers, and you were filled with joy. You went from skeptical to submitted to joy. You went from resisting the good news to accepting the good news to embracing the good news. Listen, all of us are different. There is no standard experience of conversion. Don't look at how one Christian comes to Christ and assume that that's how every Christian comes to Christ. For example, the Philippian jailer knew joy the same night he heard the good news. You remember that story in the book of Acts? 
I mean, that all happened very quick. Received good news, believed good news, embraced good news, filled with joy. The great John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he wrestled for a year and a half under the torment of his sin before the joy of the gospel finally broke through. A year and a half. So here's the first question. As we are after joy. Have you received and believed the good news? Have you received the good news? Have you believed the good news? People say believe at Christmas. I don't know if you've heard this. Believe. It's a theme at Christmas time, Christian or not. Believe. My family unashamedly watches a lot of Hallmark Channel in the month of November and December. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Hallmark Channel, it is, it is a gift from God. 24-7, at the end of November all the way through December, you just have Christmas movies over and over and over again. You can wake up at 1 in the morning, you can't go to sleep. I just turn on the Hallmark Channel, and it's a, it's a predictable Christmas movie. And we love it. And we love it because they are so predictable. We know they're always going to end well. There's nothing bad in them. There's nothing sad in them. Anything bad, anything sad has happened before the movie begins. and You don't have to think about it. But we've been watching and, and there's this theme that comes up over and over again. And it is believe. It's Christmas. And someone's in some situation and there's some sort of conflict and others come around them and that's what they encourage them to do. You need to believe. What do they encourage them to believe in? You need to believe in Christmas magic. What, what is that? That's not what I'm enjoying in these movies. And, and they'll, they'll do things. They'll look at snow globes. They'll look at snow globes and they'll put their hands on snow globes and they'll imagine their future and people around them will say, now, believe, believe, and then things will go well and you're left sort of thinking that maybe it was a snow globe. <laughs> this is really bizarre. It's really strange. So my question is, believe what? Right, there it is. There it is. There, there is the Hallmark Channel. There is movies trying to satisfy something that is in all of us. We want to believe. We, we know there is something beyond ourselves. We know that we need to grasp something else, understand something else that's bigger than us, that's beyond us, that we need to believe in. But the world doesn't know what it is. So you end up wishing on stars and snow globes and Christians. You know that you have believed the gospel. If Mary did not and receive and believe the good news, she would not have joy and neither will you. 
Remember, by joy, I don't mean an outward, superficial, sing-songy thing. Joy is a deep, durable delight in God. If you have not already received the good news this morning, if you have not already believed the good news this morning, unite yourself to God's people. Be assured in your belief of the good news. Let the good news sink in. There is no joy apart from receiving and believing the good news. So let's sing with Mary now. That is the context. Now let's look at the content. What is this song that Mary sings? The song that has been known to generations of Christians as the Magnificat which is Latin for glorifies. What is the content of her song? There are many hymns in your Bible. That's what all the Psalms are. And this hymn is no different. This hymn is also like many of the hymns that we sing today. It praises God. But it doesn't just praise God. It gives reasons for praise. These are the best songs that we sing today. The best songs that we can sing are not just songs that praise God. They're songs that give you reasons to praise God. It's not just a song that says over and over again, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. You're great, you're great, you're great. It is the songs that tell you why God is great. That way, while you're singing it, you get more fuel for praising God. So that's what this hymn does. It praises God, but gives reasons for the praise. Psalm 117 would be another short, perfect example. It says, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So here's the praise that Mary's song begins with verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And then the very next word in verse 48 is for. Which means that everything else in this hymn is the reason Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. Look at verse 48 and 49. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. So those reasons, Mary's first reasons, are based on what God has done for her personally. You see the pronoun me twice in these verses, which is not pride. This is not arrogance. This is not condescension. Mary does not consider God's kindness toward her an echo of her value. 
but an echo of God's value. She is stunned. When Mary says me, she means humble servant. It's like she can't believe that God would think of her. That God would bless her. When you say Jesus loves me. What do you mean by me? When you say Jesus loves me. What do you mean by me? Some people mean me, not you. Ha. Some people mean me, of course. And others mean me, the worst of sinners. That's the right one. That's the one who has a biblical understanding of themselves. I'm a sinner. I am a sinner and I fall short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner and I break God's law. I am a sinner and I dishonor God. I disobey God. I disregard God. I do it in my thoughts. I do it in my speech. I do it in my behavior. And I feel guilty and ashamed for that. And yet, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Our second question, as we're after joy. Have you considered what God has done for you personally. The salvation he has brought to you. The family and friends he has given you. The church he has given you. The gifts he has given you. The hope he has given you. He chose you, you know. And he did not choose you because of any special thing in you that you need to keep up. He chose you simply because he loves you. Remember the Israelites question to God, why have you chosen us and why do you love us? And he said what it was not and he said what it was. He made it very clear to them that I have not chosen you. I do not love you because you're the greatest of all nations. And his answer to them was so simple and so sweet and so gospel driven. I love you because I love you. Have you considered what God has done for you personally? Many of you who have good theology, who have good doctrine, who like to study these things and want to know God, and I'm so glad that you do, do you then connect it to yourself personally? Or is it just theoretical head knowledge? Are you humbled by the things that you know? 
Are you filled with love by the things that you know? Are you filled with love for God and love for others? Are you filled with joy because of the things you know? When you consider how great the love, 1 John 3, 1, that the Father has lavished on you. So if we're after joy, have we considered as Mary did what God has done for us personally? And now her second set of reasons. In verses 50 through 55, these are based on what God has done, not for Mary, but she thinks for all those who fear him. Let me read verses 50 through 55. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let me summarize what she said. God's mercy is for all who fear him. Verse 50. He has brought down the proud and lifted up the humble. Verse 51 and 52. He has fed the hungry and sent away the rich and self-sufficient. Verse 53. He has remembered Israel. He has kept his promises. Verses 54 and 55. What is Mary thinking about as she is filled with joy? She's thinking about God. Mary is thinking about and singing about God. Look at these verses. She is thinking about his might, his power. She's thinking about his holiness. She's thinking about his mercy. She is thinking about his faithfulness. And what is the result? She is filled with joy. Her eyes are off of herself And she is thinking highly about God. This is a key to joy. This is a very important key to joy. One of the keys to joy is to think about God. One of the world's answers when you're not feeling joy, when you're not happy, when you're discouraged, one of the world's answers that you wouldn't find in the Bible is to think more highly of yourself. That is never prescribed in the Bible. You're never told to believe in yourself in the Bible. You're never told to think better thoughts about yourself in the Bible. And frankly, when I do that, I get more discouraged. 
The call in God's word isn't, by the way, to think lowly of yourself and to think terrible about yourself. It's to stop thinking about yourself, which we have a big problem with. I naturally think about myself more than anybody else. Whatever I'm thinking about, I'm also thinking about myself almost all the time. I'm happy when I forget about myself. I stop thinking about how I feel and, and what I think about this. And One of the keys to joy is to stop thinking about yourself and to start thinking about God. To think highly about God, which brings us to our third question as we're after joy. Have you considered God? This is what Mary is doing in verses 50 through 55. Have you considered God? Have you considered who God is? Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. And you're on the earth. And I'm on the earth. Set not your mind, Colossians 3.2, on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things that are above, on God. If you want to experience joy, set your mind on God. Mary is lost in her thoughts of who God is and what he has done for his people and what he has done for her personally. I've been helped by this so many times in my life. When I am discouraged, when I am depressed, I have been helped by getting my eyes off of myself and on God. By dwelling on, by thinking on, by setting the hooks of my mind in things that are above. And the more I think about, and the more I realize, and the more I understand how great God is, how big God is, how good God is, the smaller my problems get. The smaller my circumstances get. For me, if this is just me, I'm helped by considering God's creation. To get out and to see and to think about what God has created. You want to understand how huge God is, how great God is, how big God is. Go outside at night and look at the sky. Oh my goodness. Apparently the sun is... It's like 93 million miles from Earth. And if you were to represent that in a stack of paper where a, a paper, a sheet of paper is, is a mile, you'd have to have a stack of paper 70 feet high to get to the sun. So far away the sun is, a stack of paper 70 feet high. The nearest star after the sun would be 
a stack of paper 300 miles high. You can go out and look at this tonight. It is unfathomable. The creation of God. It helps put things into perspective. The glory of God. The greatness of God. In conclusion, it's interesting. God requires his people to be joyful. All over the place, God requires his people to be joyful. Joy is not optional. There's no such thing or it's not okay. There must not be joyful Christians and unjoyful Christians. There there mustn't be joyful churches and joyless churches. God commands his people to be joyful. That may sound strange to you at first. You tell your kids, be happy. Be happy. Don't be sad. I can't help it if I'm... I'm not happy, but this is what God's word says. Think about it. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So over and over again, God is commanding his people to be joyful. Now, you cannot make yourself be joyful. You've tried that, you know that doesn't work. But you can receive and believe the good news. You can consider what God has done for you personally. You can consider who God is. And joy is always the result of understanding. Joy has a spring. Joy has a source. Joy has headwaters. Joy has a cause. Joy has a beginning. And it is understanding God and who he is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher, he said on this, What is it that leads to worship and praise, to exaltation to adoration, the answer is that it is always the understanding. The only singing that is of any value in the sight of God is that which is based upon the understanding of truth. That is why we must take this occasion to remind ourselves, therefore, that we must think about your joy or lack of joy. We must never go for the emotions directly. We must never go for the will directly. The emotions and the will are the result of something seen by the understanding. So have you received and believed the good news? Have you considered what God has done for you personally? Have you considered who God is? The Puritan William Grinnell said, The reason... Why many poor souls have so little heat of joy in their hearts is that they have so little light of gospel knowledge in their mind. The further a soul stands from the light of truth, the further 
He must needs be from the heat of comfort. Let the gospel sink in today. Let the gospel sink in this Christmas. Let your understanding of who God is and what he has done deepen this Christmas. It should be what all of this is about. All of it. The songs, the trees, the lights, the gifts, the cookies, the wrapping paper, the songs are all telling good news. Let that good news this Christmas sink in. This baby was born. And his name is Jesus. And what did the angel say in verse 32? He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we all either don't have joy or don't have enough joy. And we want to honor you by delighting in you and enjoying you more than anything else in this world. So God, we know through your word that the way to joy is you. God, we know that we need to see you more clearly. We need to know the truth of your word better. We need to grasp your attributes, your character. Our understanding of the gospel needs to deepen and widen if our joy is going to grow. So God, would you today and in this week to come, in me and my family and all those who are here today, would you work in our hearts, God, so that we see you and give you the praise and adoration that you deserve. God, we ask that there would be people who have not received and believed the good news that would receive and believe this good news today. God, we ask that you would bring to our mind what you have done for us personally in your care for us. And we ask, God, that you would, again, sharpen our understanding of who you are so that we would be filled with joy and sing praise to you for your glory and for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.